Welcome back to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here, uh, very pleased to be joined by a special guest. Uh, we have Russell Glass with us, uh, CEO of Ginger, uh, ginger.io, I believe. And uh, Russell, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you very much. And, and it, is, it is Ginger, uh, but the website is www.ginger.io. Io, there you go. And uh, for uh, for our trending in education diehard enthusiasts, you may also remember Russell from uh, from another capacity. Uh, we've talked about multi potentialites in the past, people who are uh, dabbling in many different things at this in parallel. Uh, Russell uh, is the co-author of Voting with a Porpoise. Uh, and uh, we did, uh, we'll share that out as part of this as well. So we spent a little bit of time with uh, Russell talking about uh, the children's book that he co-authored uh, about voting and civic engagement. Uh, it's a, it was a fun listen uh, and uh, everything good on that front too. Like, I mean, uh, obviously voting with a por porpoise, I imagine it's going to be uh, selling like hotcakes uh, in the next year or so because uh, parents are going to want to educate their kids about uh, civic engagement. And uh, when I think civic engagement, I think uh, marine animals, you know? Yeah, uh, 100%. Yeah, no, uh, things are things are going uh, well. You know, I think we, as voting rates continue to go up, we get excited and, and we hope that this next generation of children that are reading that book and are, are feeling more civically engaged because of some of the things the country is going through right now. I think all of that is extremely positive for our democracy. And um, as a side note, I think I'm going to add multi-potentialite to my, to my LinkedIn profile. Yeah. Uh, the CEO, entrepreneur, dad, and multi-potentialite. Why not, right? I mean, like, you know, uh, who's stopping us, right? Who's stopping uh, us is right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So getting back to the, the multi-potentialite uh, side of things. So you are also a CEO. So uh, the company that, uh, that you've been running for the last uh, year and a half or so is, uh, is called Ginger. And uh, what exactly is Ginger? Uh, you know, what's its mission and uh, what are you trying to accomplish uh, with, uh, with this company? Yeah, Ginger is really trying to solve a huge problem around the world today. And, and that is that there's this supply demand imbalance between the number of people that need some sort of behavioral or mental health care and, and the number of providers that are out there to provide that care. And, you know, I'm sure most listeners have, have seen the news and, and heard some of these stats, but over the last decade or so, we've seen this immense increase in anxiety rates, depression rates, suicidality rates. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and at the same time, there are fewer and fewer providers going into the mental health field. And so we've got this, this huge gap, uh, which is leading to, you know, 70% of people with behavioral health conditions not getting care. Mm -hmm. uh, it's leading to, uh, you know, another huge percentage of the population that aren't even by being diagnosed with care. Right. And all of the, the, the uh, health issues that come around that, you know, when you don't get taken care of from a behavioral health standpoint, things are, uh, can be, can be bad from a physical health standpoint. And, right. and, um, so Ginger is, is trying to solve that. Ginger is a company that is trying to squarely tackle that supply demand imbalance in behavioral health. 
Yeah, and uh, it was interesting as I was doing a little bit of research to 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 realize that it's it's pretty much entirely app based delivery, uh, which I which I also thought was was quite interesting. So, um, you know, one of the angles that we typically explore around uh, education and uh, the the sort of the spirit of the times is. Uh, the some of the problems around uh, screen addiction and level to which folks are using social media nowadays, I did think Ginger was uh, was an interesting play to be sort of a, a positive psychology preventative care um, sort of like almost like a pro social tool or set of tools uh, that are delivered through the same devices that we're all carrying around uh, to uh, to engage through social media. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like the fact that, um, you know, it's, it's almost like modern delivery and it's, you're carrying around access to uh, mental health care in your pocket. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Cause that was kind of, I started noodling on it and I was like, wow, that's actually kind of an interesting uh, concept. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so what Ginger realized, first of all, was that, as you said, everybody's, carrying around these devices. So, so the ability to communicate real time is there. But we recognize that so many of the problems in behavioral health are related to lack of access. So people struggle when they, when they recognize the need to actually find somebody mm-hmm. uh, because there aren't enough providers out there, because most providers don't take insurance. But the second thing is it's a, it's a heavy lift it's a heavy lift to, to commit to uh, going to see someone. Right. It's a heavy lift to, to, to you know, that mindset shift it to, oh, I need help. I need care mm-hmm. to get moving on that, to get motivated to do that. Right. And a lot of that stigma based, a lot of that is not recognizing the need for it. So Ginger basically decided, hey, let's make it super easy to get access to care. And let's make it 24-7. Anytime you have a need, we want you to be able to to connect with somebody. And so Ginger's app allows for 24-7 access to text-based behavioral health coaching. Mm -hmm. So just like an instant messenger conversation that everybody's very familiar with now on Facebook or whatever else, you can just connect with us. And within a minute, you'll be chatting with a behavioral health coach. Mm -hmm. And that coach will not ask you to do a whole bunch of form filling like like you often see in in medicine today they're just going to start a conversation okay how are you feeling Mm -hmm. why did you connect today what are the things that you're thinking about and and in that discovery we will start to develop kind of a care plan Mm -hmm. how how are we going to take you from where you are to where you want to be yep and interestingly, 90% of the time in that interaction, um, coaching, behavioral health coaching, emotional support coaching that we provide is all this person needs. Mm-hmm. We do things like motivational interviewing, which is how do we help somebody feel accountable for taking that f- next step in, the, in their behavioral health journey? Mm-hmm. We do things like smart goal setting. So we work together with our members to set goals and help hold them accountable to achieving those goals. Mm-hmm. We do things like mindfulness training and meditation training. We do things like smart breathing exercises to help people really start to move forward. And, and we see incredible outcomes based on that. Mm-hmm. 
the, the other piece of our sort of core capability here is that sometimes someone does need more. They need to see a certified therapist or, or, or physician for med management. Right. And that's when we bring those providers in via video. Right. So it, it's still all within this app experience, but now we'll bring a therapist or psychiatrist into the care team. Mm -hmm. And the coach and the, the, the therapist will work collaboratively mm -hmm. to make sure that people are accomplishing what the therapist wants them to accomplish. And then they graduate from that higher level of care as soon as possible. Yeah. Uh, and that, that kind of reminds me of, uh, of just the challenges we face around mental health in the United States today. I, I realize your aspirations may be beyond the U.S., but we tend to focus, uh, and I imagine you do as well, like first and foremost on the U.S. market. But, um, you know, how would you characterize the current state of mental health in, in the U.S.? And um, how does Ginger's mission uh, relate to that uh, problem space? Because I, I, I would characterize it as problematic. Um, but, but I'd love to get your perspective. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a mess, yeah. really, right, mm -hmm. to not pull any punches. 50% mm -hmm. um, of U.S. counties have zero behavioral health providers. Mm -hmm. Five zero percent have, yeah. have not a single mental health provider in the county. And some of these it's, counties are pretty big. Yeah. And we do math here. So I'm going to say that's roughly half. Right. right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, we're, we're, we're working on we're working on education lessons at the same time. here. Yeah, no. So there's a huge shortage um, that manifests as, you know, about 20 percent of the population today has a diagnosed behavioral health condition. OK, 70 percent of those aren't getting care. Wow. So another incredible stat. Mm -hmm. the, the, the final piece is that the estimate World Health Organization estimates that there's a, approximately 50% of the population that at any given time in their life have some sort of behavioral health need. Yep. So, you know, th there's, there's literally billions of people out there that are going in and out of some sort of behavioral health need. And, and what we see in the United States in particular is that manifests as potential substance abuse disorders. It manifests as just significant amounts of stress. Yep. And, and those are the things that lead to chronic behavioral health issues, mm -hmm. chronic physical health issues. Mm -hmm. And so our, our notion here is, can we get people starting to think about their behavioral health journey earlier? Yep. When they're just starting to feel some stress, they're starting to feel some mild anxiety, maybe mild depression. Mm -hmm. Instead of waiting for a diagnosis, which is kind of, our system today doesn't really start until diagnosis. Right there's a big journey before diagnosis mm -hmm. that if you caught it early enough, you'd prevent diagnosis. Yeah. You wouldn't need it because you, you're self-regulating, you're self-managing uh, your, your stress levels and your anxiety levels and your yeah. other, other issue levels. Yeah. And that's part of um, where I, where I see some of the problem too, is like you compound that with the stigma associated with asking for help. And then the, the related challenges around social isolation and uh, the fact that when I'm maybe having some challenges in terms of my, my, my mindset, my behavioral uh, health, um, I don't know what to do. Like the amount of friction that exists in the system to get something proactive and preventative, um, that's where I I, I was struck by the the opportunity that an app like Ginger is, is, is sort of exposing where like, 
what if it was as easy as it is to go to Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn to, uh, to just understand that there are people out there who are, who, who, who have my best interests at heart. And like, and also like as an antidote to maybe the more, um, like negative spirals that exist within social media, the idea that those same tools are available uh, to provide like proactive and uh, preventative uh, mental health care. Um, that's kind of an exciting proposition. And like, we try to be optimistic on the show, even though sometimes it gets hard. And, uh, and like, that was the thing that, uh, that kind of captured my imagination a bit around uh, what, what you're trying to do uh, with Ginger. I think it's it's a great call out, you know, to use possibly a, a trite analogy. You can, you can tell me as the uh, as as the host how trite this is, but you know, to me, social media today is largely like uh, eating sugar-filled foods mm -hmm. versus something like a ginger is more like a full balanced meal, right? Right, where you know, you eat those sugar-filled foods and immediately you get that dopamine hit. Right. They're calories, but they're, they're short-lived calories and they create all kinds of downstream, downstream issues. Mm -hmm. Whereas something like a ginger is using the same mechanism. It's still calories, right. but, but it's balanced and it's healthy and it's doing all kinds of good things for you compared to that, that, that sugar hit. And right. You know, if you look at social, social media today, I mean, you know, I don't think it's any surprise that if you look at when the iPhone launched in 2007 or so, it almost directly correlates with the significant spike in behavioral health issues we've seen mm -hmm. uh, over the last decade plus. Yep. And that's not all social media related. I think some of that is just the fact that we have a constantly on uh, set of information that's coming out of at us. Right. You know, so it's news cycles. It's it's the fact that people use these devices late at night and and uh, sleep cycles are interrupted by it. So people are getting less sleep, and when they're getting sleep, it's less healthy sleep. Mm -hmm. But but social media then in this 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 addiction. And it is an addiction. Mm -hmm. it, it is designed to addict. It's yep. designed to give small dopamine hits yep. so that you want to keep coming back. But it's, it doesn't have much long-term fulfillment. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, that, that, I think, in particular, the younger populations that have grown up with this type of access, this kind of device, this kind of social media on this device, um, it's, it's led to some sustained anxiety, depression, and other issues. Mm -hmm. Ginger uh, is hoping to be an antidote to that. So if you reach for something, reach for um, mindfulness, reach right. for um, the ability to actually learn how to turn this off and feel fulfilled without it. Mm -hmm. You know, reach for the ability to learn how to sleep better and, and, and um, accomplish goals that are going to be more long-term sustaining mm -hmm. to your mental health. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely was, uh, was struck by that uh, uh, throughout uh, everything I, I've been uh, doing research about Ginger. 
Um, a related trend, I think, is the importance of uh, social and emotional learning. Uh, and uh, I'm not going to sing Whitney Houston. I, 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 I threw that out there. I like to, okay, I'm going to do it. I get socio-emotional, baby. I mailed it in. But, uh, but yeah, we, we talk about that a lot on the show. And uh, it's a new movement, really, uh, particularly in K-12. And um, it, does, it does, from what I've seen, and I'd love to hear your perspective on it, um, it is an emerging um, shift of focus. Uh, you also mentioned the importance of mindfulness. Uh, you know, so, um, you know, the apps that are out there, whether it's Mindspace or Calm, uh, you know, just the, the broader trend around um, finding time away from uh, social media. And, uh, you know, we've, we've done several shows about how parents in uh, Silicon Valley in particular are choosing to raise their kids off of screens and off of social media. Um, I do think that's an interesting um, trend and we're a trend spotting show. I'd love to get your perspective uh, on that. It, fr from what I'm gleaning, like it did seem like Ginger is more focused on um, working professionals and it's generally delivered through um, through like an HR department, uh, that there's there's a benefit that's provided to to an organization, and it's more um, that that's been sort of the thrust of the focus so far. But uh, but I'd love to get your perspective on that. Where like you know how are we educating folks around behavioral health? How are we educating them around sort of the the whole person, whole student? Um, you know we are an education show, and I do think there's there's quite a bit to learn from. Uh, the approach that Ginger has taken. So, I, so I'd love to get your perspective on that. Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack here. I, so first of all, Ginger is today very focused on the professional. So we, mm -hmm. we sell into large employers and um, provide access to their employees so that they always have real-time 24-7 access to behavioral health support. Mm -hmm. And for employers, that's a huge deal to make sure that their employees are being um, supported. We also uh, do this for, for labor unions. Um, we uh, do this for any sort of large organization. Um, we don't yet support adolescents. Mm -hmm. we, we plan to in the future. We think it's an important part of um, the, the mission here. You know, mm -hmm. our, our, our goal is to create a world where mental health is never an obstacle. Mm -hmm. And so many mental health conditions start between 15 and 25. That is sort of where a lot of these start to take root. Mm -hmm. And so it'll be critical that we can support that, that po those populations under 18. So, yep. so that's coming. Mm -hmm. But back to your notion of social emotional learning. If you look at what our coaches do, it really is centered on social emotional learning. They are helping people recognize emotional responses and instead of reacting to them, just noting them, just understanding what, what creates those responses and, and what is a productive um, reaction to those responses. They're helping people motivate themselves to accomplish the things that they want to or need to accomplish. They're helping them set goals effectively. Mm -hmm. They're helping them learn mindfulness. So take time out of your day to just be present, be centered, mm -hmm. uh, breathe, yep. notice your breath. You know, the, the little things that you can do that can have a huge impact. Yep. Uh, 
Gratitude is an important thing. You know, what are you grateful for? How do you, how do you, um, how do you be mindful about what you're grateful for? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we, we see this even in our, so our, our kids are in, are in school here in uh, California. Yep. They're all in elementary school today. So ranges from kindergarten to, to fifth, my, my kids, and they're teaching increasingly uh, social emotional learning. They're changing. So for instance, they're changing how uh, devices are to be used. Um, what they've recognized is as a, as a rule, one of the issues with not allowing kids to access devices is that unless the whole community is on board, there's too much social pressure. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to say to one kid, hey, you can't, you can't have a phone if all of their friends have a phone. Right. And so our district has come out and said, look, based on all of the current research, we don't think uh, a child should be able to have a phone until they're in eighth grade. Mm-hmm. We think that's when the brain has developed to the point where they can handle the kind of information that they're going to have access to. And uh, so now in our district, students aren't allowed to have phones until that age, Mm -hmm. until, until eighth grade, which is, which is just a great, as a parent, Mm -hmm. it's a great transition to, we're not really sure when our, when our kid can have a device. We don't really know when the right time is to, They're not even allowed to have it until eighth grade, so don't even ask us, right? Right, right, right. Well, it's nice sometimes when some external authority is saying it too, because otherwise, as a parent, you, you got to provide that yourself, and you may not always have the energy to like litigate. I have a ten-month-old, so he's not—he's not really uh, his You're argumentative. Not asking you yet? His argumentative skills haven't quite developed, although although he knows when he wants his bottle and when he doesn't, you know. So I imagine, and he also knows when uh, when I'm on my phone and he knows when I'm on a remote control. It's, it's amazing how that, that's almost like a, a very primal uh, component, you know? Well, just wait until he picks up a picture frame and starts to swipe it. Oh my God. Which right. All three of my kids did. Yeah. One makes, point another. Yeah. It makes sense, you know? And, uh, and then that's the general, I'm happy to hear, uh, you know, your, your ambitions are as, as bold as they are so that, you know, it makes sense to enter through the, the, the workplace problem. And that's generally where folks are receiving their benefits. So like, it's a, you know, uh, it's a natural, and, and I guess that's sort of the call to action to our listeners too. Like if you're interested in ginger, it's more the type of thing that uh, you would talk to whoever is responsible for benefits within your organization to understand how, uh, how this type of tool uh, might roll out. But, um, but it's also interesting to me that um, these same tools, I think, would likely be beneficial to other populations. Uh, the other population that I thought uh, that, that I, maybe it's just as I'm getting older, I'm getting interested in, is, uh, is sort of the 55 and older uh, set where, um, you know, there's still the digital readiness there, like how much are they ready to use these types of tools. But there's plenty of uh, behavioral health uh, complexity and challenges within within that population and um again from what i've seen um i liked the fact that there were uh plenty of tools that were available uh before something would escalate to the point that you would need a more significant intervention and i think frequently the fact that 
you know, and it's generally in, in the people I know, like it's, there's, there's, there's those of us who have therapists and those of us who, who don't need a therapist. And I feel like that's almost uh, a dangerous way to frame uh, what it means to be human. You know, like we all have vulnerabilities. We all have times when we could use a support network and, you know, it's generally an access problem. And, uh, and I'd love to get into that a little more too, like um, how, like sort of the design thinking that went into building um, a lot of like, there's a lot of asynchronous interventions. There's a lot of like lightweight chat interventions that seem like um, maybe they're leveraging some of the emerging thinking around good product development, but like they, they just make it easy for uh, the user to kind of break the seal and understand that it's okay to be thinking about your own uh, behavioral health. So I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, I, I, you know, I love, I love the way you framed that notion that we all can use emotional support. Yeah. There's no, there's no real such thing as those who have mental illness and those who don't. Mm -hmm. We've created that construct probably just as an artifact of a diagnosis. So, so you get diagnosed with some condition and then you, you get into a, the behavioral health system. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that we all have periods of stress and anxiety, and we all have periods of needing emotional support. Now, a lot of us can, can get that from our social communities, our, our families, our friends, et cetera. But a lot of us can't. Right. And having the ability to access this at any point in time, we believe is super important. And so, so part of the design framework here to your question was, it should feel as easy as connecting with a friend. Mm -hmm. It should feel as easy as a chat with a buddy. Right. <clears throat> and so providing that kind of access at any time of day or night is we think a critical part of how we're delivering care here. Mm -hmm. And two was that it, there shouldn't be, you shouldn't have to think about, Oh, how much is this going to cost me? Right. Is every single interaction going to be an additional fee? Right. Is this covered it, or not? It, yes. That's right. Exactly. It, it should just be, it's covered. Just use it. Yep. And so a lot of the design on the back end is to create that experience, that feeling of there's no, there's literally no pressure. Right. I don't have to get into a long hour long interaction. I can just start chatting with somebody. And if I like it, I'll continue. If not, I'll stop. Right. You know, it, it, I liken it to, and I don't know about you, but I do not like to pick up the phone and call a call center. Right. I would much rather just start chatting online. Yep. Here's my problem mm -hmm. and deal with it without talking to anybody. Yeah. And in thinking about that, I think part of the reason is that there's a, there's a, it feels friction filled. Yes. To pick up the phone, go through that dial tone process and not know how long is this going to take me? Right. Like, what is, <laughs> am I going to be on hold for a while? Right. Is the person I get to going to be the right person? Or are they going to send me to someone else? Yeah. You know, that whole thing feels hard. Whereas if I just start chatting, mm -hmm. it's the feeling of I can drop it anytime. Right. I might be able to just get this done without talking to anybody. You know, 
maybe while I'm just sitting here, you know, getting work done. Right. So that feeling of being able to just accomplish something super quickly, I think is also part of this. It's how do you reduce the friction to get somebody started? Because once they're started mm-hmm. and they're building a relationship with their coach, what we find is people tend to love it. Yeah. And they tend to get tremendous value out of it. Yeah. And it, that's where I was going to go next too. Cause like, I do find the, the concept of coaching is something uh, we've talked about a lot on um, this podcast. It's something that's very central to Kaplan uh, really where like, you know, I began my career as a test prep coach and a teacher, but you're really a coach where you're trying to trying to maximize the performance of the person that you're working with. And in some ways, like I, I think that notion translates very naturally into uh, mental health, where um, understanding why, why many of the students I've worked with, many of the students who come to Kaplan have a positive experience is that there was somebody on the other side who was there just in support of me. And that is more of a coaching dynamic than a teaching dynamic. And even though we're called teachers frequently, I, th- I think when, when we're at our best, I think we're coaching. And I'd love to hear your perspective on how, because I, I th- as I understand it, coaching is very central to sort of the, the mission and philosophy of Ginger. So, so I'd love to hear, hear you talk a little bit about that. A hundred percent. It's, it's, uh, it's completely core and central to what we do without, yeah. without the coaches, our system wouldn't, wouldn't work. And, mm-hmm. and there's a few, I think, big reasons for that. One is the notion of a coach is certainly partially to impart knowledge. Right. But, but I believe there's something equally as fundamental, which is accountability. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to let my coach down. Right. We've, we've worked together. We've come so far. I don't want to go back to my coach and say, I haven't accomplished something. Right. So, so it's part of it is, is how do you create motivation and accountability by building a relationship that's trusted that the person feels a real connection to? Mm-hmm and wants to take those next steps for something that's beyond them internally. And, and there's, there's all kinds of evidence for this. I, in, in fact, one of, the, one of the, I think, keys to successful mindfulness and meditation is to be thoughtful about why are you doing this? Who are you doing this for? Mm-hmm. Is it because, and for me, as an example, I meditate because I want to be a better father. So I'm doing it for my children. I want to be a better husband. So I'm doing it for my wife. That external motivation is an important part of how you continue to practice these things. Yep. And so I think that's a, a critical part of this. The second big piece of this is simple economics. Mm-hmm. We have a huge shortage in therapy, therapists in this country. We have a huge shortage in psychiatrists. And it's not just this country, it's globally. It's, it's similar to the approach we've taken in population healthcare with nurse practitioners mm-hmm. and physician's assistants that has really allowed us to scale primary care by getting someone with a lower level degree, yep. but that's very capable of handling 80% plus of the, the cases that'll come into a primary care's 
you know, office. Mm-hmm. It's the similar sort of a, an approach here. Where we're using behavioral health coaches, super talented. They can handle, in our case, 90% of what we see presenting. Yeah. But they pr- provide a filter of sorts to prevent having to use this higher level of licensure, which is needed yeah. for more serious issues. Yeah. 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 That makes, that makes a ton of sense. And, uh, and, uh, it does lead me to the next, uh, area of, of interest, at least on my end is like scaling and, uh, automation. So like frequently when you begin with a sort of a chat powered intervention, um, the natural next step is to start exploring when could this be handled through a chat bot rather than a human. And, um, that also opens up questions around trust. And like when you're talking about uh, mental health, it does seem like the trust component is so central to it that I imagine you wanna be careful and measured in your experimentation around uh, leveraging automation to, to help facilitate the scale. Is that something you've looked at? I, I'd be curious how, how you're sort of, uh, you know, nibbling around the edges there. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. So technology and automation is going to be super important to continuing to scale what we do. And today we actually use quite a bit of it, but we don't use it for interaction with the member. We use it for decision support, for quality assurance, um, for helping to prioritize the coach's workload. Mm-hmm. So, so to make it real, I'll give you an example. <clears throat> As soon as someone starts chatting with our coaches, we're using natural language processing to extract facts from that conversation. Mm-hmm. Things like diagnoses, prior history, mm-hmm. medications, uh, tone of voice, issues presenting, um, scores, so um, GAD and PHQ scores, which are standard ways of measuring anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're extracting all that information and we're using that in a number of different ways. One is, we're real time making recommendations to the coach Mm -hmm. saying this person is a candidate for escalation to therapy. This person is showing medium suicidality. Mm -hmm. This person is demonstrating X, Y, Z. So we're supporting the coach with their decision-making by calling out things that they just might miss. Right. And particularly if you have a longitudinal relationship. So if this relationship is over three months, right. our system will catch something that a coach might forget. Right. Over that period of time. Mm-hmm. The second thing we're doing is prioritizing the coach's day. So we don't just do intake. We do outbound outreach based on what our mm-hmm. system says is a prioritized need. Interesting. So for instance, if we see somebody that over a period of time isn't getting better. Right we might prioritize that person for outreach and escalation by the coach. Wow. Yeah. We might see, Oh, someone hasn't checked in in the last 48 hours, but in the weeks prior, they had a more regular pattern. Let's do an outreach to see how they're doing. So those kinds of things are automated also. And it just allows us to do things far more scalably today. Yeah. 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 Now over time, I do think there's opportunity to automate, So for instance, we are today providing our coaches what we call smart answers. Yep. Similar to if you use Gmail, it'll complete the sentence for you. That freaks me out, but yeah, yeah, yeah. A little freaky, a little freaky, uh, but pretty accurate. For sure. 
So we will suggest to the coach today, here could be a relevant response. Mm -hmm. The coach has full capability to edit that response. They can yeah. decide to use it or not. But all of that activity, do they edit it? Do they use it or not? Goes into our algorithms mm -hmm. to get smarter and smarter over time on what's an appropriate response for this. Yeah. At some point in the future, we may see a day where we are um, automating parts of the conversation yep. in a way that's transparent to the member. Yep, yep. Right? And, and it'll be kind of an interaction that's happening along with the coach. Yeah. And it just makes things either more seamless or faster. But, yep. but the key will be trust, right. better experience, and more scalability so that we can keep costs low while we help more and more people. I mean, that's the whole goal of what we're doing. Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, I've, I've seen uh, this is the stuff that I, I love to read up on in my uh, spare time. It's partly why I do this show. It helps me motivate to, to read this stuff uh, more. But it's, you know, the, the, the notion of front of house and back of house where like, you know, the, the, the things that actually involve human interaction are the last piece to test into automating. But there's so much that you can do that will make that uh, that human layer better and to focus your automation fo your, your automation energies on servicing your own sort of emissary to the external world everything i'm reading is talking about that and actually that that's hugely relevant to the to the future of work uh so so that's you look like you might have thoughts on this so i'd, I'd love to hear them yeah i mean you know i think you know, there's, there is, there's no doubt in my mind that the power here of a, you know, call it automation, you know, AI, AI I think can be a little bit of a scary term. Yep. Uh, and, and I think a lot of the, the, the reason AI has taken off is because of venture capitalists and investors and wanting to have that next big thing. But like, really it's automation. Yep. It's how can you, how can you create um, the ability to automate the low level tasks so people can focus on the higher level tasks. Yep. So we can use the intelligence of the human brain on things that aren't, aren't just repeated, yep. aren't, you know, something that can be automated relatively easily, but, but it allows those people to have to work, spend less of their brain time Yep. on that lower level stuff so that they can be uh, doing that higher level stuff while being balanced in the rest of their life. Yep. Right. So you're, you're increasing productivity levels so that they can spend more time with their family. They can yeah. spend more time doing the things they love to do. Um, I love that idea of automation. I yeah. love that idea of um, how that can change the way people work. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and they're doing things that they're more excited by and more interesting, but they're still doing it in a balanced way. Yeah. I also love the notion of automation um, being used to maintain quality levels at a greater scale yes. than you can do otherwise. So generally, anything's easy at a low scale, right? Right. You, I could come to you and provide you immensely, immensely high quality mental health care 
on a one-to-one basis. And we'll, we'll pick up on that after the show. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. We, we can, we can do that easily. We might even be able to easily do that to for a thousand people. Sure. But once you start talking about hundreds of thousands, right. millions of people, that becomes a really hard problem mm-hmm. when you don't have enough providers. Right. So using automation to keep quality levels high at immense scale yeah. is really interesting. Yeah. Using automation to keep costs down so that the people who couldn't afford a cup of coffee every day Right. but can still afford high quality behavioral health care. That mm-hmm. is super interesting also. Yeah. Well, it reminds me, I mean, uh, you know, I did work in uh, behavioral health for a little while before I, before I started at Kaplan and uh, so much of it is a triage problem. You know, like how do you identify who needs the most acute care? And like that to me seems like, you know, when you talk about natural language processing and uh, was really interested when you were talking about picking up on paralinguistics and like, tone of voice and like that technology is maturing really fast in really interesting ways and to think about how that could solve the scaling because really the scaling problem is fundamental to the mental health crisis that we've been talking about really across the board any thoughts on that yeah i mean you know first off the triage problem i mean that's obviously a critical part of the way the healthcare system works today. Mm-hmm. And what we're doing is using coaches who are not only providing care, but they're also trained on when to recognize the need for escalation, when, mm-hmm. when to recognize that someone needs a higher level of care. Yep. So, so we're, we're using sort of triage in that way today. Now, ideally, as you think about all of these technologies and automations and things that can create scale over time. What you want is over time, triage becomes less and less of an issue. Right. Right. Triage is really only an issue when you have a supply constraint. Mm -hmm. What you want to do as much as possible is remove those supply constraints. So that triage has to happen less and less often. Right. And you know, it'd be super exciting to think about a world one day where you don't need triage right? because you can support everybody that needs support. Yeah. And it, it does, we, you know, since we started this show three years ago, like one of the things we keep coming back to is the blend of uh, human and AI. Uh, so like, you know, the, the notion of the centaur in chess where like you give a, a really a chess master access to AI she'll beat both the other chess master, but also the pure AI play where like, if you're able to leverage the, the sort of the, where, where artificial intelligence is better, it's actually a different kind of intelligence from human intelligence. And if you could figure out the right recipe for that blend, um, that's where you really unlock uh, like exponential potential around these problems that have generally been limited by you know, the problem of access to humans. Um, so uh, a slight diversion, but, uh, but any chance we have, I didn't talk about robots, but I almost did. Uh, so like any chance we have to talk about future of work and, uh, and automation. And it's really, it's, it's exciting for me to understand that some of the more fundamental problems, including those around mental health and wellness uh, can be addressed 
in the same way that we're addressing, uh, you know, social media and professional networking and some of these other uh, maybe more obvious use cases for this technology. So it's, it's really exciting that, uh, that Ginger is out there in front uh, trying to understand uh, where, where we may be able to get further faster. So, so really uh, congratulations to you and your team on the, on the great work that you're doing. Uh, we're coming up close to time. Uh, so one of the questions we like to ask folks, I don't remember where, whether we asked you this uh, when talking about voting with a porpoise, uh, but um, you know, are there trends that uh, you're observing that are capturing your attention Nowadays, we just talked about artificial intelligence, but um, is there anything that you see new on the horizon so that, you know, like in say two to three years, we can look back on this show and say, ah, remember when, uh, when Russell uh, was, was pointing us in, in this direction? Anything new, whether it's in behavioral health or in learning in general, or just, you know, you're, uh, you, you have plenty of experience in, uh, in technology as well. Um, anything uh, that you think our listeners might benefit from, uh, from being aware of? Sure. I, so uh, I'll, I'll touch on a couple. Sure. One is I think we're increasingly seeing behavioral health become part of sort of mainstream media efforts. Mm -hmm. You know, just for, for, for your listeners, I think relevant, just um, this week, Sesame Street announced that they were creating a character um, centered on the child of parents who have uh, substance abuse disorder. Wow, yeah. Um, right, which is just awesome, right, mm -hmm. to think mm -hmm. about tackling these issues. Again, and it ties to back with voting with a porpoise. I think so much is how you capture children's imaginations at younger and younger ages and help them think through some of these things mm -hmm. so that they grow with it, right? Yeah. And so creating those conversations, I think we're seeing more and more um, and, and I think you'll see that increasingly you'll have more open dialogues about behavioral health mm -hmm. in mainstream media type, um, outlets. Yeah. So that's one big trend I think we're going to see. Um, and, and two, just in general, I think education, uh, resources. So if you look at like, um, the national Alliance on mental illness, mm -hmm. um, NAMI, it's just NAMI.org. Mm -hmm. It's all about education. It's all about how, how both parents, educators, and others can get smarter about how to tackle mental health issues in adolescents and children um, and in themselves. Mm -hmm. So I think those kinds of resources are increasingly going to be out there. So that's one area is just general, the, 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 the combining of education and, and behavioral health. The other area I think is very interesting is um, increasing amounts of connecting sensor data, so device data, watch data, Fitbit type data yeah. with medical and, and health conditions. So right. being able to both monitor how things are going, but start to associate those with conditions that then allow you to personalize interventions. Yes. I think you're going to see far more of that in the next five to 10 years, mm -hmm. uh, which again, allow for higher quality healthcare yeah. interventions that aren't as broad, but are more targeted mm -hmm. and thus more effective and um, less expensive. Yeah, I, I was struck by the cognitive behavioral 
orientation of ginger. And then when you think about those behaviors being understood at scale so that you can identify uh, patterns that might indicate risk, like that, that definitely got my wheels turning and what you were just talking about. Uh, yeah, well, well, this is a reason to get you back on the show. So like, we'll, there you go. we'll, we'll, we'll see that, that, uh, that continue to emerge. Uh, Russell Glass, uh, thank you very much uh, for joining us here on Trending in Education. Uh, Ginger is the name of the company, uh, ginger.io. If you want to find them and browse yourself, talk to your, uh, your uh, benefits department or your HR team to, uh, to ask them, uh, you know, first off, just how to get help uh, just in general if you feel like you need it. Uh, there, sh there should be less stigma attached to it. Uh, one way that you might accelerate that is to talk to them a little bit more about uh, Ginger, which you, you heard about on this, uh, this podcast. And uh, thanks very much for the time and uh, congratulations to you and the team uh, again, uh, Russell, for, for doing the good work that you're doing. Th thanks so much uh, for having me to talk about it. Uh, always a pleasure. <laughs>